Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And this is episode number 75, Shazam, Longshot, and Feral Edition. How are you, my friend? I'm good. We got some nice weather rolling in finally. Yes. I hate to say it because Game of Thrones is starting this week, but maybe winter is not coming anymore. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm excited about Game of Thrones. Are you? Yeah. <clears throat> you got I, six episodes left, and then it's all over. And you know they are. This is not a Game of Thrones podcast. This is no. actually a, mo- a movie podcast. But since we're on that subject, they're going to do these six episodes kind of like movies—ninety minutes, two hours. You know, hour and hour and fifteen the minutes. The first two are closer to normal length, but as it reaches the end of the season, they are ninety minutes or longer, closer to feature length. And don't worry, no spoilers here. We know nothing. Except for there is somebody who did die in season seven. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we don't know yet. We'll see. But anyway, no, it's um, I'm so stoked for for Game of Thrones, and I, we have to. I have to apologize. We had <clears throat> we had a little technical difficulty last week because we laughed our voices hoarse, and it is noticeable on the first fifteen minutes or so of the podcast. We so. Said, we thought we'd share with you what had actually happened. <laughs> we were making small talk here in the booth, Roger setting up the podcast, and I mentioned, for some reason, I couldn't even tell you why it came up, that there's a Ponderosa restaurant still open, and I know where the location is. In our years of friendship, Roger's never challenged me on anything, but he straight up called bullshit on me and swore that there was no Ponderosa that could still possibly be opened. And it spiraled out of control from there. Yeah, I was just I was just completely floored that there is still a now Ponderosa was an icon of the '70s and '80s, folks, and I and I'm it was probably just a Midwest thing. So if you're in the Philippines and you're listening to this, you may have no clue what we're talking about. Just bear with us for two minutes. But if you grew up in the Midwest in the South, Ponderosa was the big deal, man. It was like the steakhouse for poor people. Yep. I mean, it was the steakhouse for the common man. Because not only could you get your steak and baked potato, but you got the salad bar as well. You always got the salad bar. So Roger really did not believe me. I did. I called total bullshit. I told him he was full of it. No way is there still Ponderosa (laughs) operating. I'm going to take him to the secret location. We'll report back after it happens. I've checked. It's still operating. So in the near future, I'll be taking Roger to a very nice Ponderosa lunch. But my favorite part of this is at the end of this meal, I'm going to reveal a second restaurant to him. He has no idea what I'm going to reveal. It's another relic of the 90s now, that I know where it is and that it's open, so stay tuned. Now, since um, you know, since we make up this show on the fly as we're doing it, I just had an inspiration. So we're going to see who listens. If nobody listens or who all listens to this podcast, when we go to the secret Ponderosa <laughs> and have our meal... <laughs> Or we're never heard from again because yes. the Ponderosa is some kind of interdimensional trap. I'm going to trap. take a picture of my steak and baked potato, and we're going to put it on the film coterie <laughs> social media. And the first hashtag person, Ponderosa, first person to respond with Ponderosa <laughs> will get movie tickets on me. I'm going to buy a pair of movie tickets to the first person that will respond with Ponderosa. And this is how we entertain ourselves. <laughs> No, I'm excited for the Ponderosa journey. I'm excited I'm, for the salad bar. Sorry, go ahead. I, I'm not convinced that this isn't some kind of weird inter- interdimensional thing. Like, I just feel like we're going to walk in, 
and people are going to be sitting there reading TV guides. Kids are going to be playing with pogs. Somehow we've gone back in time. Or it's going to turn into men in black. Yeah. We're going to go in. There's going to be aliens everywhere in the restaurant. Just a canteen is seen right before us. <laughs> but anyway, this <laughs> we are not a food or a uh, Game of Thrones podcast. We are a movie podcast. And uh, each week we go to the theater and we either see screeners or we go on a Thursday or Friday night. And recording a little bit early this week. Of course, you won't know that because you won't get it till Friday. But I'm heading out of town for the weekend. And so I uh, was able to check out Shazam today. And then we did a screener of Long Shot. And we'll talk about it. And then a interesting little indie film, uh, Feral. So, yeah, I'm excited about our lineup tonight. Yeah, uh, for those that have not heard of Feral, it just had its world premiere this past Sunday at the Sarasota Film Festival. And we were lucky enough to get an advanced copy of it, so you can see our review on our website. Yes, sir. Well, I'd like to jump right into Shazam if we could. So Say those words. Yep. Neither one of us transformed, though, when I said it. Well, not yet. Not yet. All right, let's take a little listen in on Shazam. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Film Coterie. Baby Bats. I choose you as Jake. So my powers will become yours. Shazam. Wait, for real? Say the key! Say my name. Shazam! <laughs> That's crazy, right? What are your superpowers? Superpowers, dude, I don't even know how to pee in this thing. All right, that was Shazam and Shazam. Were you familiar with this character before the film came out? I actually was. I okay. was familiar with Shazam. There there had to be. There was an 80s iteration of this, wasn't there? There was a cartoon. I, I've seen this guy that's in a cartoon what, as yes, a child. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah, because I knew that if he said Shazam, he turned into the superhero. And said Shazam, he became the the his you know regular self i didn't know it was a kid but i knew the, i knew the mechanics without ever seeing i knew the mechanics of the story so. yeah so this is the newest entry in the dc film universe there's questions about what this universe is now because shazam is just on the the outskirts of it and then we don't know what's going on with this joker movie because it's set in the 80s and doesn't seem to line up with anything else because as we know it jared leto is the joker in this dc universe Shazam, I am pleased to report, you can see cold. Oh, yeah. You don't have to have any knowledge of the DC Universe. It's not like jumping into a Marvel movie where there's ten movies before it and you don't know what that glowing thing is. There's nothing like that to Shazam. It, it's its own entry point. Right, and before I point out some some and some flaws maybe in DC's, the way they're doing this, before we kind of hammer DC, let me just say up front, this is a fun movie. Yeah, so this is a whole new track for DC. Wonder, Wonder Woman... <laughs> Aquaman and now Shazam are getting away from kind of what Zack Snyder had been doing with the films where they're kind of gritty and dark. And brooding. I mean, there was the infamous line that there's no jokes in the DC Universe. We're now well past that. It's lots of jokes. They've struck a more fun, positive tone in these movies and gotten away from the grim darkness. So I think Shazam's one of the best DC movies yet. No, I I would agree wholeheartedly. I I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, A lot of humor. 
I won't say it really wasn't Marvel esque. No, it's its own thing. It's its own thing. It really mm-hmm. is. I had kind of thought going in that this was going to be Deadpool light, but it's really not. It's really it's kind of its own thing. It's 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 a um, maybe just an honest. There's an honest humor to this because you know the kid is 14 years old who becomes Shazam, but he stays 14 in his mind, and so there's a lot of good funny play off of that. Um, now Zachary uh, Levi, that is the that plays Shazam, is kind of the lead. He kind of has this. You kind of either like him or don't like him kind of thing. And people are, and I don't know where you fall, but I've kind of always been in his court. I kind of like him, a fan of him. He hasn't always done great work, but I, I like him as a person. You know, I like what he stands for and what he does on social media, and just some. I just think he's a cool dude. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I think. He really pulled it off, and I'm really glad. I heard that they redid the suit or something, that it was real muscly to begin with and bad-looking or something. It's still padded. I mean, it's yeah. it, it doesn't look like he's that ripped. You know, it's it's a, the suit is what has bugged people the most, but the Shazam suit's always tough to do because it's red. There's a lightning bolt and it has a white cape. Yes, it's not, not the most pleasing upon but, the eyes. But they're self. The movie self-deprecating because yes. because they make fun of the suit. They make fun. What are you going to a wedding? You got a white cape on. So, it's good to see DC not take itself so seriously. Um, and I thought I thought Zachary Levy was great in this. Um, and I enjoyed his his family. Uh, you know that he he's. I, I don't want to get into a whole lot of spoilers, but the basic premise is he is a foster kid you know he's a kid that's been in the system and he finally lands in this um family of 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 two parents that were foster kids themselves and so they're kind of a ragtag bunch of they take in foster kids and have this big kind of group home and uh that's a good point to jump in here this movie presents the foster situation in a very positive light because we see this good family i mean when you think back over the history of film Foster homes are almost always presented as somewhat nightmarish, cruel, lonely. Yeah. This is a very loving family. Yeah, absolutely. As much as they can be with these kids, you know, and it's a very positive experience that way. I think they took the right approach to the foster situation because Billy Batson, the boy, is an orphan. He's looking for his family, and he finds one, you know, an unorthodox family, but he finds one here. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about the two characters, because the mechanics of Shazam is he's a boy that's chosen by a wizard to take this name, and when he says the word Shazam, he transfers from a 14-year-old boy to a six-foot-tall superhero that can fly around like Superman and has all kinds of other powers as well, lightning from his fingertips, Oh yeah, and they play it for laughs. Bulletproof. They fully acknowledge that this is a riff on the movie Big, because they even include a piano scene. Yes. So they're acknowledging kind of their influence on this, and that's where a lot of the humor comes from is what would a boy that could turn into a man do, right? He'd buy beer. He'd get into some other trouble. Yeah. It all feels very realistic to that end. Absolutely. And I thought, I was surprised because I thought uh, Asher Angel, who plays Billy Batson, the boy, um, and uh, it's Freddie was his buddy, right? Freddie Freeman was the character. I I thought they had good chemistry, you know, that they really uh, were like a couple of, for both being foster kids and thrown together, Immediately, they kind of have this love-hate relationship with each other, and they're kind of like, like kind of like real brothers do, you know. Uh, so I thought the chemistry was great. Um, Did you buy that Shazam and Billy were the same character through their performances of that Zachary Levi and uh, Asher? So, so the only th- the only knock I would have is that 
sometimes sometimes when I was watching Shazam, the adult character, the Zachary Levi character, I saw Zachary Levi kind of come through at times, you know, and try to was trying to act. He didn't fully embody a kid always, but it's very subtle. Very yeah. n- nothing, nothing that really took away from the experience. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was well done. Uh, Asher did a great job as young Billy. Um, I wasn't really familiar with him before, but he, he definitely carries the role pretty well in this movie. If I was going to knock anything on the movie, the, the villain is typically weak. Yeah. Um, we were saying that 99% of the audience is going to walk out and not have any idea the name of this villain. Mark Strong plays him. He plays him like he's played a lot of these other villains. Very cookie cutter, and he's just a, an initial challenge to Shazam. This is an origin story. He's not you know, set up to really wreck Shazam's world or anything else. This is just us, a chance for us to see him gain his powers. So the movie is weaker on the superhero elements, I think, than it is on the family drama and the comedy. Those are the stronger elements here. No, no, I would agree completely. Um, I, and I, the same problem is with Captain Marvel. Yes. I, I agree with that. People are going to walk out of that theater and not be able to tell you Jude Law's name. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Um, overall, I, I really enjoyed the film. Uh, it's funny. Um, it's good action. Um, you you know the villain is like you said is 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 it's cookie cutter. But every in every origin story, they don't want the main villain from the beginning, you know. And um, hopefully this will, I, I think it's going to get green lit for a sequel, you know. Yeah. So it's a confusing history because they signed Dwayne Johnson to a Black Adam movie well before I think they're even making a Shazam movie or had Zachary Levi aboard. So that's going to be the next one. I don't know the setup. I assume Shazam is in it. But you're going to see The Rock as a different version of this, as a villain named Black Adam. So that's where they're going with this. I, we don't know how it's going to tie into the bigger DC universe. I don't expect Shazam to show up in Wonder Woman 2, for example. No. But you just don't know. But it would have been nice to have some of the more popular DC characters cross over into this and make just a little bit of an appearance, you know? Well, that was that was made hard by some contract negotiations. Henry Cavill was supposed to be in this. And they couldn't show him without signing him to a new deal. He did not want a new deal. So I think they were hamstrung a little bit just by real-world difficulties here. Yeah. And that's what made it feel like a, a, a different experience from some of the other DC movies. I'll also point out, and you know, if you're a big fan of the DC Universe, you might be able to tell me this. The city in this is Philadelphia. You know, my limited experience with DC is that most of the cities are all these fake names, like right. Metropolis and Gotham and everything else. But this is Philadelphia. And we don't hear, I don't think, Metropolis or Gotham mentioned at all. No, I and it's just, I mean, it's weird. But when you said that, I didn't even realize it until we had dinner tonight waiting on our second, before waiting to see our second film. And uh, you said, you know, there's no other, where is these other cities? They're never mentioned. And then I thought, when when has DC ever had a real life city in their comic books? I, I don't And that's, I don't know. They may exist. Um, but that was kind of surprising to me. Yeah. What about some of the, the family members? Any of them stick out? Any of the characters that played them? Um, good, bad, okay? Yeah, no, they're all fine. Um, Faith Herman plays Darla, uh, a younger sister there in the foster home. I thought she was <coughs> particularly good. She has a lot of the comedic, some of the better jokes in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. One of the things without getting it's hard to say that it's hard to talk about this without getting into spoilers, but it, it from what happens at the end, the final scenes of the movie, um, it, it appeared to me that they didn't really think through the idea of maybe a sequel or where this might go 
long term. So we'll see. <clears throat> you know, and this is the problem with the DC universe, the DC films, is that even when they have a great film like this or a good, really good film like this, they don't think it through enough to say if this film was a success, what is part two going to be like? Because, yes, there may or may not be something tacked on to the end credits that points us to a sequel, but it feels really tacked on. And with some of the developments in the third act, it didn't appear to me that they thought it through that, the, you know, if they're going to continue this story on, maybe they are. I don't I don't know. Yeah. I, outside of the Black Adam movie, I don't know where this goes. So, I mean, I'd be curious to watch it. A decent box office. Um, yeah. And, now, and, it's going to get kneecapped a little bit because we have Avengers just down the road. Yeah, that's the problem. So, I don't know how overall Warner Brothers is going to be looking at it. I mean, it, it was one of the cheaper movies to make. I mean, they listed the budget of around only $50 million or so, which feels artificially low. But, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, overall, though, I'd recommend it. It's it's if you're if you're wanting something to hold you over till Avengers Endgame gets here, and you want a superhero film or origin story, it, it, take the family and go. It's fun. You'll enjoy it. You know. I, I, no, I will say something. Let me jump in real quick. It just dawned on me. I had a friend take his two younger kids. Uh, one's in kindergarten or first grade, and the other one's a little bit younger. This movie terrified the youngest, um, because yeah. the villain can divide himself into these smoke like. Seven Deadly Sins monsters. And that was too much. The little one had to go and didn't want to yep. see the rest of the movie. So when that scene happened, you know, it was too much. But, you know, for the elementary school crowd, it's probably okay. Yeah, but I, you know I, your own kids best. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I think, but I think when I say family film, if you have kids third grade, third, fourth grade, older, middle school, high, even high schoolers, heck, I even enjoyed this, and I'm not in school. So... Anyway, I think that's going to wrap it up for Shazam. Both of us are positive on it. We would recommend it. think it would be a fun time at the theater. Uh, when we come back, we're going to change gears, go to a, a hard R comedy, rom-com even, The Long Shot, or is it just Long Shot? Is it The Long Shot or Long Shot? I don't know. Let's, let's listen in a little bit, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to The Film Coterie. You look really pretty. <laughs> you look really pretty, too. Charlotte Field, the most powerful woman on Earth, flirted with you tonight. She actually seems to like me. She's amused by you yeah. like you would be a small puppy. <laughs> There's no way the two of you work. You don't know that. Excuse me? You're a speechwriter. No one's ever looked at me like that before. It's Pretty Woman, but she's Richard Gere and you're Julia Roberts. I hear you have a crush on me. I do. We grow up next door to each other. He's really funny, super smart. And he knows me. You get me, friend. I totally get you. Do you think that'll, like, go viral? This is the news! Kind of crush on you, too. All right, we are back, and now we're going to talk about Longshot, the new comedy from Jonathan Levine and Seth Rogen and his writing partner, Evan Goldberg. These guys have worked together on films like Neighbors and The Night Before. I will say that if you're not a Seth Rogen fan, this movie is not going to work for you. But if you are, I think it's a pretty funny comedy. We saw it tonight. It's way early. I don't think this comes out till like, May 3rd. 
but there's a strong push behind it. They're they're doing a ton of screenings here in Columbus and in other places. So they're, I mean, they're trying to get audiences to see this and build up word of mouth. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. It's really funny. And um, I, I typically don't do. I'm not a huge. I, I I okay. Guilty pleasure. I enjoy rom coms. I have a daughter and a wife, so we watch a lot of rom coms, and I enjoy them. You know, but I typically don't do like. I'm a PG-13 rom-com guy, you know. <laughs> and this is a hard R. This is a hard R, and it's and it's. Uh, <clears throat> I usually don't go for those kind of films, but this has some very funny moments in it. There's, there's an exchange between Seth Rogen and uh, his best friend. You know, for that's just hilarious. I laughed and laughed and laughed out loud. You know, in the theater. Um, so there's some very, very funny, uh, very, very funny sections to the yeah. film. And it's a super simple setup. Uh, Charlize Theron plays a secretary of state that's looking to run for president. And she reconnects with Seth Rogen, who was a childhood friend. She actually used to babysit him. And he becomes a speechwriter to help her normalize herself a little bit. Because right. she's, she's tracking low for sense of humor among all the, the polls. Um, romance develops. It's, it's mentioned that this is a little bit of a pretty woman story that she is dating a schlub that she has to fix. But it's not just a carbon copy of that. It's it's definitely its own beast. It's very funny. Yep. And I think it's going to work well for the mainstream crowds. Yeah. Um, we saw it in a packed theater, and yes. most of the jokes landed. Yeah, most of the jokes hit really, really well. And it's got a good cast. I mean, uh, Bob Odenkirk uh, plays President Chambers, and... He's just he's he's just strong. I mean, he 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 plays a just a goof of a character that's can't wait to. He's trying to graduate from the presidency to a higher calling of making films. From his t- he was a TV star before, you know. Sounds familiar. Yeah, and so um, uh, I tell you, o- O'Shea Jackson Jr. played Lance, his his uh, uh, Seth Rogen's best friend. And he was a revelation. He was really good. And then you dropped the nugget on me who he was. Yeah, Ice Cube's son. I mean, he's gr- He's really good. This this this. He's guy. great and straight out of Compton, where he's actually playing his dad, Ice Cube. See, I didn't. I, yeah, I need to go see that now. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought he was very strong and has. A, I think he has a promising career. If he, I mean, you know, I think we're gonna see more from him. He's just just solid, solid throughout the film. Now, the one that both threw us for a loop, uh, Andy Serkis is actually in this movie. He's playing a, a guy that owns a large media conglomerate. And it was driving me crazy all film because he's, he's under a ton of makeup. And I just couldn't figure out who the actor was because he's playing kind of a prominent role. But this actor in the makeup is someone I've never seen before. And sure enough, it was Andy Serkis. <clears throat> now, I will have to say, and you, you will agree with me, Alexander Skarsgård is the prime minister of Canada. And we've discovered something about him. <laughs> Between this movie and Aftermath, <laughs> I've learned that poor, dear Alexander Skarsgård cannot really do an accent. No. His German accent was not passable at all in Aftermath, and it just kind of drops through halfway through the movie. They don't even try anymore. And we discovered the same thing with his Canadian accent in this movie. Yeah, he starts off Canadian. She makes Charlize Theron makes fun of him in the movie about his accent. And by the end of the film, he's just playing Alexander Skarsgård. No accent. <laughs> so There's no... Let's put it this way. He attempts to be French by speaking softly. Yeah, so uh, all French those casting Canadian. agents out there, pay attention. French-Canadian. 
Oh my. It might not be one of his strengths, you know, accents. But, you know, overall, though, the movie really, you know, we pick at Alexander because he's a dear friend. But, <laughs> but, you know, overall, the movie, the movie is really funny, really good. If you don't mind, if you like that kind of more hard R, raunchy comedy. Now, um, we played for you in the lead up, the trailer, and the trailer really emphasizes the romantic side of the rom-com. I would say that um, this is as much... There's, there's. It's, I'd say it's, it leans more into the comedy in the movie than it does the romance. So I think with this one, it's going to be interesting that if there's guys out there, and I'm, I'm being stereotypical here, but if there's guys that don't like romantic comedies and they get dragged along to this one, they're actually going to be in for a pleasant surprise. I think they're going to have fun with yeah, it. Yeah, I, I agree totally. So it's not a bad sit, even if you're not a fan of the genre. Yep. So overall, I would recommend. Um, well, let's talk about Charlize. Oh, real quick. Yes. We didn't get into leap no, we did not. Let's. She's yes. very believable as a Secretary of State. She's always been able to carry herself with a lot of elegance. You, you know, she always appears highly intelligent in these films. Like, out of all the things you may not believe could be possible in this film, you certainly buy her as Secretary of State. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Very strong. Um, of course. It being a rom-com, I had to throw my brain out the door to think that she, her and her and Seth Rogen would ever get together. Um, and, and then the only time there's there's a scene at the uh, there's a feel good moment at the end where she gives a speech that is not, nowhere based in reality. Those words would never be uttered by any secretary of a state, no matter what. But hey, if you want, you know, if you're into stick it to the man and speak the truth. This is going to hit hit right home for now, let's you. Let's be honest. Have you ever seen a movie that's leading up to a big speech, and they stick to the script? <laughs> they never. It, it's coming. That softball's coming a mile away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this has all the familiar tropes. You're going to recognize what's going to happen, but what elevates it is really the humor. Um, the humor is much in line with the other R-rated Seth um, Rogen comedies. So if if you like that, I think you're definitely going to be a fan of this. We were even talking before the podcast, uh, the box office success of comedies has really died. Yeah. Um, even Will Ferrell and Adam McKay have split up uh, Gary Sanchez Productions, their company. So I don't know how this is going to perform. For whatever reason, audiences are not going to comedies in the theater like they used to. Now, and it could be ticket prices. I mean, now families <clears> have <throat> to choose what movies they see, and it's it's tending towards the bigger sure. blockbusters, the bigger If I pictures. had to guess, these kind of films... The rom-coms that were that were the blockbusters of the '90s. That that was the big movies of the '90s. Yeah. So it wasn't the superhero movies. It was romantic comedies, comedies, and disaster movies. Yeah. If I had to guess today, these kind of movies like this have long legs in the video on demand. You're yeah. home with your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whoever your significant other. And you're not paying by ticket. And you're not paying by ticket, and you're like, oh, let's watch the long shot. I heard that was funny. And so this will have long legs in in regards to rentals and video on demand and, and will become popular even that way. It's going to get buried when we get into the, some of the big boys coming down the pipe. You know, I, I think it's going to get buried with some of the bigger, you know, you know, may, maybe some parents drop off their kids for Avengers and go see the long shot. I don't know. <laughs> well, and, you know, that's the real price of going to the movies. Now, I had a buddy talk to me the other day saying, you know, it's one hundred dollars for the two of us to go to the movies. Because we have to pay a babysitter, we buy our tickets, we'll get a, a little bit of concession, not even a lot, maybe a beer and a wine. So $100 is a lot to drop on an experience. Yep. And audiences have to be pickier. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Sure. So 
I mean, if you're going to go to the theater and you're in the mood for this specific type of raunchy comedy, I think you're going to be happy with Longshot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to recommend it as well, too. Um, it's a fun ride. I laughed and chuckled, and uh, uh, there's some uh, a couple really funny scenes, but we won't talk about it because we don't want to ruin the movie for you. So go check out Longshot. When we come back, we have uh, even shifting gears more. We went from big budget to romantic comedy to a small independent film, right? And so when we come back, we're going to talk about a movie you've probably never heard of but might be worth your time to go see or rent on demand, and that is Feral. All right, we're back for our last segment. We're now going to be talking about Feral, a new movie by director Andrew Wonder. It just had its world premiere at the Sarasota Film Festival this past weekend, and I believe it's going to be playing at some new festivals. I don't have all those details, but this is one that's going to be making its journey on the festival circuit. Now, we were lucky. Um, I had seen a publicist mention, hey, I got this really beautiful film and we'd love to get some more coverage. So I'd reached out to him, and he sent us a screener. We were not at the Sarasota Film Festival, but I will say there was a lot of positive reaction to this movie there, and Roger and I both had the the chance to see a screener of this. And that's kind of nice. Pat ourselves on the back. Three years of work on this podcast, and we're starting to have publicists that will, you know, shoot us stuff like this, you know. And then even the director, uh, I think he retweeted us or thanked us or something uh, for our review. So, yeah. So, but let's talk, Adam, about Feral. Let's talk about the name, which is kind of generic, but it has a lot of meaning to it. And then give the listening audience a little background about what is this film about? So this film was written as a reaction to uh, Andrew Wonder and Priscilla Kavanaugh and Jason Mendez, the other co-writers on this film, um, hearing some experiences of the homeless. Ultimately, this movie is about a homeless woman in New York City and what is she doing in the days before a blizzard is coming? Um, we see how she survives. She lives underground in these subway tunnels. She's got a, a, her own little space carved out. But then she also interacts with these strangers. And there's four or five strangers throughout the film. And these interactions give us a better understanding. It's, her name is Yasmin. And they almost play out as vignettes. Right. You don't know how it's going. You see the introduction of the characters, and they're they're wildly unpredictable. And I think through these experiences, we get a better idea, maybe, of who she is. Well, I think Annapurna Sharam, I, I think she's really solid in this movie. I mean, you know, the title Feral means wild, means unpredictable, means never know when it could just pounce on you and eat your face out if it's a raccoon or something crazy, you know. And she has that energy, that inside energy. The whole time I'm watching this, I don't even realize it, and I'm white-knuckling the chair, wondering is she going, what is she going to do here? How is she going to react? You know, and is she going to be thankful that somebody's helping her? Or is she going to just, like, totally go crazy on this guy or this gal that's trying to help her? Because we see a little bit of everything in this movie. Uh, very interesting. 
I think her performance is really, really solid. Um, it's kind of done, like you said, kind of docudrama or kind of like, you know, where they flash forward to, a, a, you know, them talking to a, a, a set and then back to her actual life, you know. Um, and then we end up at the place where you see that set was done. Yeah. You know, and you see, you get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly of this lifestyle and, and the struggle they go through. Um, so, yeah, I can see how it hit it hit pretty hard at the festival. Yeah, and what's interesting is every time she comes above ground, she kind of changes her appearance. She might be wearing a wig or have a different look about her. And, you know, that's some of the movie, too, is how we present ourselves to other people. What are the masks that we wear? You know, in one instance, she's with a, a widow who's alone and sad. In another instance, uh, she goes home with a young guy who's never had anyone listen to his music. You know, these are all these interesting experiences, and, and you don't know exactly what she's trying to get out of this. Is she actually looking for companionship? Right. Or is she really just such a survivor that she's put on this mask, she's infiltrated someone's life even for a little bit, and she's going to take what she needs, yeah. whether it's food, supplies, or even just a coat. Now, there is an underlying story about her mother and a separation that happened, maybe a deportation or something along those lines, and that she's trying to save up money to get her mother or go to her or something along those lines. And there's a scene, I think, where you you see a coffee can and there's a large amount of bills in that can, you know. But that never that that story never, I think, was really fleshed out. That was kind of one thing that was disappointing to me was that and, and this may be just intentional by the director. It may be his choice to do this. We just got a snapshot of those days leading up to it. We did. I kind of wanted the whole story. I wanted to see, does she it is she does she make it? Does she find her mother? Does she do that or, or not? You know, kind of a thing. Um, and it it has some good questions about mental health too, because we just don't know how she is. Um, you know, she's up and down a little bit. It's interesting to see her interact with people, but again, it's performative. Yeah. I mean, we may think we know her, but we don't really. And, you know, I, I um, in my in my personal life, I uh, work at a, a drug and alcohol rehab center where I do some volunteering and stuff. And I see men at their kind of their lowest point. A lot of them literally came right off the street into this program. And then I've done some volunteer work where you help people that have lived right on the street and you're trying to help them to to recapture their lives. And, you know, there's good and bad. There's re- and this this one of the things that, I, that really hit me hard about this film that I thought was so real was she finds this group facility that the directors and the people running it at the top are the sweetest, nicest, compassionate we understand your story and and really i think they believe that they're doing the best they can to help these these homeless people and then you you see her check herself in and she gets the reality of the the guys that actually run it yeah and they're cold and cynical mm-hmm. and maybe even abusive and manipulative to the people that are there and that's the real life. I mean, that's I, unfortunately I've seen that firsthand and had to deal with some of that stuff. You yeah, know? and I mean, you hear people kind of offhandedly say, "Why would anyone sleep on the streets?" There's shelters. There's lots of resources people can take advantage yes. of. Yes, but until you've gone through that, perspective re- is always so important. And yeah. I, I think a lot of this movie rings so true 
is because it's based on the stories of the actual homeless that have been shared with the co-writers. Yeah. I mean, this movie, to me, felt pretty damn authentic. Yeah, I, I would agree. And don't paint broad strokes here and think that every every group home is yeah. like this. No, there are some amazing places that are doing great work. But this stuff does happen. The reason these people sometimes choose to live in the street is because they've been in one of these facilities and the street's safer. Yeah. You know? Uh, so for for its shortcomings, um, which for me were thinness of, of a of a traditional story arc, you know, um, th- this movie far makes up for it on, you know, uh, realism and authenticity and just strong, strong uh, Annapurna, just great performance, man. Just really, really solid. Now let's talk about some of the camera work here. We were yes. not at the premiere, so we weren't able to ask the director any questions. But this feels and looks a little bit like some guerrilla filmmaking because they're shooting down in these subway tunnels um, for the movie. There's commuter trains whizzing by. I just don't know that you get the permits to shoot like that in New York City. No, I mean, you it, do not. <laughs> I don't know how they got in these spots. The spots are all littered and looked very lived in. You know, I, I don't know that they were that they set these up or found them. I, I really don't know, but it's impressive to see these underground locales. Yeah. And um, also the the tokens, the things that are important that like that that her character Yasmin that she holds on to that have value to her are would be considered junk to us. And so there's just such a realism there to where she has built this cocoon around her. She's built her world underground. The real her never comes up to the surface. It's always down there under un, yeah. underground. And I'm telling you, it's just a solid, it's just a solid film. It's a good film. And I hope this film gets a wide distribution and people get exposed to being able to watch this film. Yeah, definitely. And and I've always said one of the best things a movie can give you is perspective. You know, you get a chance to spend 90 minutes, two hours with a character and maybe, maybe gain a new view on something that you've previously written off or think you understand. So I think the movie's really valuable to this end because this this character study with Yasmin, I think it's valuable. I think we yeah. should take a moment and, and think and and have a little bit of an experience of what these characters go through, even if it's fiction. Um, I think this movie does provide some really good perspective. Absolutely. Well, I, so if you get a chance to see Farrell or whatever name it ends up becoming, <laughs> we, we, we don't know for sure, but maybe it'll be the same title, but... Uh, um, it's going to be worth a watch, absolutely. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for our movies. When we come back, one little mini segment left, and you will know what we're going to talk about by the music or the soundtrack or maybe the trailer you hear in between. This is the Film Coterie. We'll be right back. And we are back, and I am fired up. Did that? Did that? Did that music? Did that trailer not fire you up just now? I'm telling you one thing: if you don't know what that is, you're in trouble. Because that, my fans, my family, my friends, was in game. Adam, 
the next time we do a podcast together, we will have covered Endgame. And we'll have a road trip under our belts, maybe. Because <sighs> we're not screening it locally. We're actually seeing it a little bit early. And in a hidden, well, a secret city. We can't really disclose yes. anything. But we'll be hitting the road. And uh, I don't know when the embargo will break. But we will be sharing our thoughts with you on Endgame on our social media. So make sure you're following us on Facebook. We're facebook.com backslash filmcoterie. Our handle on Twitter and Instagram is at filmcoterie. So make sure you're following all those accounts yep. if you want to see some early word. Because I promise you, when the embargo breaks, we're going to get like a ten minute, five minute review of the film and then an hour and a half spoiler cast coming after it. Because <laughs> we're not going to be able to hold back on that film, I'm telling you, man. Yep, so we'll put up our spoiler-free review when the embargo breaks. And then our spoiler cast usually goes up towards the end of the weekend, so people have had a chance to see it. So yep. we'll have two episodes coming Absolutely. for Endgame. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Adam just told you how you can reach out and get a hold of us. Uh, follow us on the social media and the interwebs and all those good things. Keep an eye out for Endgame, and we'll see you next time on the Film Coterie.